We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers started the 2023-24 season just like how they ended the 2022-23 season with the loss to Denver in pretty convincing manner. Lakers got out of the gates pretty hot offensively, uh, but could not get a stop. Uh, LeBron goes out at the 6.07 mark. Lakers are down 20 to 16. They only score four more points in the final 6.07 of the first quarter and end up going down 34 to 20 and never really recovering from all the way from that first quarter. It was a game uh, certainly of runs and of different matchups and places where Lakers look good at certain points uh, and and really rough at others, particularly on the offensive end. We will get into that. Uh Little run at the end of the second quarter, cut it to nine, I believe, at halftime. Both starting groups kind of played each other close, and Lakers cut it down to, I believe, a two or three point game at one point late in the in the third quarter. But a run in the fourth after Jokic comes back in the game. Denver runs the same play like four plays in a row and has a different variation of it each time and scores like 10 points off of it. And they put the game away. And and so, Mike, it was reminiscent of a lot of the games in last year's playoff series where it was like, oh, the game is close, kind of sort of late in terms of on the scoreboard. But then down the stretch, Denver really asserts their will and was clearly the better team in that game. So, Mike, you were there. Thoughts from opening night? Yeah, it felt a lot like a Western Conference Finals game, but much more from Denver's perspective, where it's ring night, the fans are rabid. Uh, they're just, and nothing could have thrilled them more to have the Lakers been the team uh, that they beat and got to celebrate in front of. So there was that extra element to all of it. And I thought, as you mentioned, Pete, like the starters came out, and especially with Torian Prince hitting a couple of threes and just playing well, and, you know, basically held serve. Uh, yes, Denver was up by four points, but the Lakers were getting good shots. AD was attacking, and it was mostly fine. Um, then we saw the first bench unit come on, and it was Vincent and Hachimura, and then later joined by Cam Reddish. And all of a sudden, there just wasn't much flow at all. And, you know, not not coincidentally, that group hadn't really played much together. And really, none of the Lakers played much together in the preseason. So 
It's just so funny how we spent a lot of time talking about cohesion and the carryover from the roster from last year. But Denver is one of the few teams that has just much better continuity and cohesion um, because they brought the exact same starting five. And then even though they're playing young guys, the first guys off the bench, Christian Braun, Zeke Naji, who were in the the regular season rotation for much of the year. And then Reggie Jackson, who was there last year and played some. And Peyton Watson was sort of the addition getting a couple of those minutes, but they like, they knew exactly what they were running. They knew exactly where they were going. They knew where their shots were going to come from. And that is not the case uh, with what a lot of these different Laker groups are. So that to me then played out for the rest of the game where the Lakers with their talent and um, certain players would have nice stretches, but you could just see the continuity breaks and you could see the cohesion breaks where they just didn't really know what to go to. And it's just a, Again, Denver is the exact worst team uh, to play in that context, Darius. So that's what it felt like in the building, and and um, just all all the same feelings from the Western Conference Finals, where the Lakers, although they have made so much progress from where they were, still have a lot of work to do, specifically against this matchup. And mm-hmm. it's not a mountain that I I, I think is impossible to climb. Um, it's just one that's going to take a lot more refining than we saw in the season opener. Yeah, so many thoughts. I think I messaged you both last night saying that this feels exactly like one of the playoff games. Mm -hmm. It seemed like every 50-50 ball that the Nuggets needed to get, they got. There were a couple of times where it's like, oh, a deflection. We're about to grab the ball. Oh, a tip away. And now Aaron Gordon's got it. There was one long rebound D where like D'Lo was this close to having it. It hit the back rim like really hard and he just missed it. And it turned into like a Jamal Murray corner three where it was like, ah. So plays like that. And then... Like an Aaron Gordon late clock three against LeBron, a random big bucket off of a KCP jumper that's just like every single Jokic's important three for four. Jokic three for four from, from three, usually at the end of the shot clock. Yeah. Yeah. Just just every key basket the Nuggets needed to hit, they like they hit. Pete mentioned it was a game of runs. It was. The Lakers got it to within three. LeBron hit a three that got it to. 82-79, or I'm sorry, 92-89, and then the Nuggets went on a 16-7 run over a five-minute stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where you know the other team is better, is every time the Lakers made a push, Mike Malone took a timeout, and out of every timeout, it was five straight Nuggets points. It was seven straight Nuggets points. Yep. It was a 9-4 run, or like, it, mm-hmm. it, it was just a difference in points, and Some of that was continuity. Some of it was just like the Lakers are still matchup deficient from a size perspective. Mm -hmm. Like um, there's plenty of places to go in this, but, but Pete, like they opened the game and Austin had to guard Michael Porter Jr. Because they put Torian Prince on Jamal Murray. And then D'Lo is out there chasing around KCP. And it's like, LeBron was then tasked with guarding Gordon. And there was a lot of like, yes, there's carryover and yes, there's continuity, but it's like there is and there isn't. I want to get to this a little bit later, but it's like Austin's playing a whole new role than what he played for like 75% of last season. Like now he's looked at as more of a shot creator and not having Vando actually was a challenge this game. Like I thought Reddish played 
fairly well. And I thought Wood looked mm-hmm. okay. They were actually mm-hmm. two of a couple guys who had like decent plus plus minuses. And it's mm-hmm. because their roles were narrowed in a very specific way. And I felt like the guys who got the color outside the lines a little bit more, almost all of them struggled except for like LeBron, who even LeBron was coloring inside the lines a bunch. It was just like, do I have a transition opportunity? Yes. Well, then I'm going to get a layup. If not, then there's a bunch of different stuff going on. And and so my my brain is very scattered right now around all of the stuff, even after a night to sleep on the game, Pete. And, And it's because I look at all of these areas where if we're scaling out of 10, it's like, oh, well, this was a 5.5 out of 10. This is a six out out of 10. This is a four out of 10. And there are so many places where I thought the Lakers came up short. And that's why the game, even as close as it felt, sometimes didn't feel close at all because the Nuggets were just always there ready to pounce on any mistake the Lakers made. I think it's important to identify when the Lakers played well and when they struggled, um, and particularly on the offensive end. I think one of the major headlines coming out of this game is AD going scoreless in the second half. And I think there are some things that are Denver-specific, and there are other things that are Lakers-specific. And in this case, this is a Lakers beyond just this game thing. And that is, AD is be talking about role changes within the same roster, AD is asked to be an offensive hub at the top of the key. And that's exactly the point of the game where the offense fell off of a cliff. And so when it was LeBron and AD on the floor, their offensive rating I sent you this earlier was like 134. And if you're listening to the pod, think of like 110 as like an average offensive rating. So 134 is great, right? When it was LeBron on and AD off, it was like a 147. And then in the minutes that LeBron didn't play, which were quite a few of them, that's part of one of the stories is a a minute restriction perhaps on LeBron James from this game, Mike. Um, The AD-led units had a 75 offensive rating. And I'm doing more LFR videos this year. I'm excited about that and excited to do more of those. Sadly, I cannot be doing the, this is why one of our guys is struggling at this one thing. Everybody go look here, you know, from working at the team. But Mike, there is, um, I sent you guys a screenshot. The last, AD went 0 for 6 in the second half. And the last shot he took in the third quarter was a play where he was at the top of the key and Gabe Vincent is next to him. And the play is either going to flow into a handoff for Vincent or it's a fake handoff for AD. AD decides for the fake handoff option, but it's the wrong choice. And if you watch that play, again, it's a 355 at the third quarter. Part of it is because Rui is standing on the left block right there, and then his defender is there too. So that's called driving into a closed post, which is something you don't want to do in terms of when you choose like when to drive and when not to. There's a ton of overpenetration by us last night, by AD and by, by D'Lo. And so to me, the AD being a hub of the offense is the most legitimate knock against him, Mike, is that can running offense through AD be something that you get buckets on? But he did have one flurry, and I want to end this point on this. In the second quarter, he had an 11-point second quarter. 11 of his 17 points came in this stretch where he looked really good. But where was he operating from mostly on that? He got the first bucket of the game, which was off of a pick and roll. Then he attacked Jokic in transition a couple times, got a bucket or two, got to the free throw line. But in that second quarter stretch, Mike, he was operating on the left block. This is four outs 
spacing. This is kind of old school. He's not at the top of the key. This is how what he's been doing. And so to me, there's this bigger question with the Lakers of we're investing in Anthony Davis, right? This is something that Palenka talked about. Part of that has to be being able to run the offense through Anthony Davis and doing it from a different spot than he's been doing it the last few years is going to have somewhat of a learning curve. Now, can he get there? I don't, I don't know. But I do think that that's a dynamic that's happening that explains the, the starters look amazing on offense. And then all of a sudden, oh, crap, we have four points in the last six minutes uh, of, of the first quarter. I think a lot of it's that. Yeah, interesting how we are going to come around to talking most about LeBron and AD here. Uh, I, I think that it just, to me, that still is the heart center yeah. of the team. And, and so starting with AD and then I'll veer over to LeBron, a lot of the discussion we had in the offseason and more recently in a lot of these like top 100 lists, right? And where does AD rank? And, you know, the when you compare him to the other bigs, Jokic and Embiid, well, they have shown that they can be the hub, right? Uh-huh. Offensively. And, and that that is kind of like the main thing. But then at the same time, AD is the best offensive player in the league and showed it in playoff series and showed that also he can be dominant offensively, but he almost always has had LeBron either out there or at least out there for a majority of the time to just put the defense in a different type of position than if he is that constant hub. And so this is why these conversations are need to be nuanced, right? When we talk about where these guys rank and how they are. And, and that was like the AD just shows these flashes of complete dominance and then it goes away for various different reasons. Um, But I, I want to just, before we get to that, I want to touch on LeBron as well. Actually, let's do this. Darius, Come in on AD um, after this after this break, and then let's move on to LeBron from there on. Because the LeBron minutes thing to me is a, is something that's going to be a big deal moving forward. Um, let's let's start with AD though. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think that you guys have already said a bunch on 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 AD that 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 I would have hit as well. I think the point that you're making Pete about investing in in AD is I think that 
a thing that can happen with him, and I think that this is a and a challenge that he needs to overcome for himself, and I think that it's a challenge for the coaches as well, is that there are very few players who have as diverse an offensive attack as Anthony Davis, where if you just hammer and spam one specific thing, he could do that all night. But then that does not allow you to diversify within the context of like, well, let's change it up on on any given possession, right? Mm -hmm. And so AD, when he's diving out of the pick and roll, it's almost like a great running game in football, right? Where it's just like, you're hammering the interior, you're, you're hammering the the interior, he's gonna score some, he's gonna score some, and mm-hmm. then suddenly, what then ends up happening is that collapses the defense and then the long ball is then open and mm-hmm. then the game opens up for everyone else and it's why the running game so has value in the NFL, even if running backs in general, their value might, might decrease. But I got upset last season when it was Anthony Davis, hey man, just put your head down and run into the line mm-hmm. 15 or 20 times a game. So it's like, oh, let's open up the floor for him and we'll pull him at the top of the key and he can attack and he can go off of the dribble. But if that's all you do is do that, that's right. then teams start to sit on that. And it's just like, oh, well, AD's just going to drive into us or he's going to dribble into an 18 Jokic was shot. taking an extra step back off of him in the second half. And yeah, he AD shot one for six on his jumpers. And so then you can then post him. And it's just like, oh, well, now look at this. Now he's working out, out of the post and it's drive, quick spin, a bucket on Aaron Gordon, a bucket on Jokic, like little jump hooks, a little reverse pivot, a little step back jumper. And so that flows into offense as well. The challenge with AD, I think, is that if you ask him to do any one of those things over and over and over again, he could probably have a stretch just like he had in the second quarter, where mm-hmm. it's just like, oh my goodness, he is dominating at this. When he played with Russ last season, Pete, how many games of pick and roll action where he was just killing as a dive man over and over and over again but anything that you do habitually will come back to bite you and ad finding the right balance of this is where i need to be and what my decision tree is going to look like from any of these positions is important for him just like it's important for the coaches to continue to try to emphasize that stuff and sometimes when you leave players to their own devices it's not going to go as cleanly as what you would want because they're just playing in the game and finding that right context can can be hard. And that's where I think that learning curve for AD that that you're talking about, where this is a new role for him. And I think he does have to adjust to it. You know, I had the game on in the background here. And so while listening to Darius and a, a, a play jumped out and AD attacks the offensive glass, doesn't get the rebound. It, he really had no chance to get it. And Denver goes down in transition. Christian Braun drives all the way and draws a foul on Christian Wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and LeBron in the background is is going like this, my my head, my hands motioning over my head, essentially like get back. And right. then LeBron said something post game about transition defense. And this is amidst then AD goes on to score a ton. And but so that the transition D element came up in the preseason, and that was just one example of of, of something that has to get better um, as the season goes on, especially against Denver. But I'm trying to figure out as we're running back and forth doing the postgame interviews, right? And so Darvin Ham goes in 
the the way that they did the media this year, it's about a two minute walk or like a minute and a half between where the Lakers do their press conferences in the locker room. And we have one camera when it's a national TV game. So Darvin goes, then a couple guys go in the locker room and then LeBron and AD go. And the reason I set this up is to say I'm basically running to get back there when LeBron and AD start after getting uh, D'Lo and Torian Prince uh, and Gabe Vincent in the locker room. And so during this run, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, all right, what do I what do I ask LeBron first uh, in this kind of a context? And like the game itself, more of a broad picture question. And I, I end on, well, he's not going to like this, but I got to ask him about the minutes. I have to ask how much of this is the plan with Mike Mancius, um, with the coaching staff, with LeBron himself. LeBron has almost never, actually not almost never, never played less than 35 minutes a game, including the season opener last year, including throughout his his um, year 20 season. And it was just going to be a little hard for me to believe that he actually was going to play less than that. And so when he ends up at 29 and it's it's very clearly part of what a plan, um, even if it's a little bit influenced by not playing a lot in the preseason, I just think that has big implications for um, in a good way for LeBron's longevity in the season. But also it's just going to be different in what the Lakers are yep. going to do lineup wise. And if Pete, when you're making all your your spreadsheets for minutes, my guess is that you had LeBron at 35. Um, or at least close to that, and not at 28 or 29. Is that fair? It, it was it was more like the 32 type of range. I've been wanting this for LeBron for a while, but it's to me one of those things where it's like that's LeBron James who's taking care of his body better than anybody ever has. And so like I'm really in a whatever LeBron wants type of set, but I've wanted LeBron to cut down regular season-wise for a minute. Like the more he can be a 16-game pr- player for us versus an 82-one, the better. But as Darius has pointed out too, like you gotta you gotta that can go too far in the other direction as well, you know? Yeah. And so, and I, I've, we've had this discussion and I've long been on the side of, of trying to reduce the regular season usage in order to preserve the bigger picture. It's just that the Lakers roster didn't really allow that to be super possible mm-hmm. um, in the way that this, that it does this year. And LeBron, I think has cho- we've talked about this like a couple of pods ago, LeBron has been the one ultimately that's chosen. I will be on the court and I will just mm-hmm. find my ways um, and it just clearly that reached ahead, at least for now. Uh, clearly, this could evolve as the season goes on. We'll see what the Lakers end up being record wise. We'll see if he feels like, no, you know what? There isn't a difference between me playing 30 and 35, depending on what I'm doing. All that. So to be continued, I just think that it's it's significant in the, in the context of what did he look like? And when he's moving north south. Denver yeah. had no answer. He's just shoving Christian Brown out of the way. He's finishing right over Jokic easily. But when he's in the half court and trying to go north-south, and this is defensively and offensively, this showed up, I think, in, in rim protection or a lack thereof a couple times, uh, That that's the year 21 part that I've been thinking about in the context of you know what is going to be there as it goes on. So just the LeBron minutes and the plan and all of this to me uh, is, is something that I think we could dive into for a minute here. Well, there's big picture and there's little picture stuff, right? So last night, in when LeBron went to the bench in the fourth quarter at I think like the 840 something mark, he had played 24 minutes at that point, right? And so in theory, if he would have played the rest of the game, which was never going to be the plan, he would have ended up at around 32 minutes, which is right in that sweet spot range that you were talking about, Pete. But he went to the bench. It was 94-90 at that point. You go through the play-by-play log, and after a minute or so, Several minutes pass, and suddenly it's 
Now, Pete, you talked about like the LeBron off, AD on stretch of the game and the 70-something offensive rating. The reason how you get a 70-something offensive rating is go four or five minutes and score a single point. Yeah. And you're the main guy that's on the court. You're going to, your offensive rating is going to suffer. And that happened in the first quarter too, right? We were talking about it, four points in the last 607. It did. And so from a small picture perspective, if LeBron stays in until the six minute mark and not the 845 mark, do the Lakers actually get over the hump, which they had not gotten over the hump the, the, the entire game. Now, do they still lose the game because in the four minutes he sits then at that point and comes back with three minutes left or whatever? Like, who knows? I can't predict the future. But in the small picture, you could easily make the argument that the Lakers go on to lose that game because right when LeBron goes to the bench for quote unquote mandated or not mandated, it doesn't matter. Part of the plan rests. The Lakers suddenly give up seven straight points and ultimately go down by by double digits again when they were within four. In the big picture, I'm with I'm where both of you are is that I was listening to Zach Lowe talk on his on a podcast appearance that he made recently, and, and he said something like, it's almost a guarantee that when you're going to be 39 years old, which LeBron is going to be in December, and you're and in this season, he will become the all-time minutes leader for playoff and regular season minutes come combined. It's almost a guarantee that you suffer an injury at some point during the season, right? Now, the significance of the injury or how many games you miss, that's open to whatever is going to happen. But you're not gonna go through a season clean at this age playing this load and you just can't expect it. And so I think managing it this way is the right approach to go because you're minimizing the amount of wear and tear you're putting on him. But I'm with Mike. like. I did not envision that this was a thing. And if I had a time machine and I could have gone back three weeks and asked Coach Ham a question, I would have been like, hey, in the preparation for the regular season, are we going to anticipate any minutes restrictions for LeBron James? And because I'm hoping we would have gotten an insightful answer because this was a surprise to me, Pete, the way that it went down. Yeah, it and it certainly has implications particularly in the short term. Um, I think that it emphasizes those groups. And now when I say the stats earlier, LeBron was going out at the same time Dilo was going out as well. And then yes. all of a sudden, and and along with AD's struggles, I thought Austin missed some reads uh, off of ball screens and he didn't have his shot going particularly well. And so it was like, I, I don't want to act like it's one thing or, or the other, but early on, especially if, if LeBron's playing those type of minutes, Mike, we're going to be looking for you know, competent offense in those in those minutes. And we have a long way to go on that front. And so one of the things that uh, that we've been talking about a decent amount is like a mentality of ball movement versus uh, looking for your own shot. So let's take a break, come back, talk more about that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
There was a play early in the second quarter. It was in the one little mini shift that Jackson Hayes got. Gabe Vincent was on the floor, who is a good swing passer, I think, coming from the Miami system. And it was this, but this really cool play where Hayes set a high ball screen for for D'Lo, and they switched it, which Denver's second unit switches everything pretty much. And so it ended up with, I believe, Reggie Jackson on Hayes, and Jackson was underneath them, but due to the size discrepancy, D'Lo's like, oh, I'm gonna throw this to to Jackson either way. So he throws it to him and Jackson catches it kind of underneath the basket so he doesn't have a finishing opportunity and he whips it to the weak side corner like he should to Cam Reddish, who's right there. And it starts one of those super fun sequences where it's like pass, 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 like it whips around the perimeter really quickly and it ends up back in Delo's hands at the top of the key after several great swing passes and several great defensive rotations. Delo attacks it, and this is something Delo did like four or five times in yesterday's game, along with getting like four or five deflections. I'm looking forward to talking more about him as the season goes on. Anyhow, Delo overpenetrates right here and gets his shot blocked when he had red. He had one more. He had that one more pass toward Reddish in the corner. Pete. Just drop drop a quick clarification exactly what you mean by overpenetrating. So there's there's a dribble. There are like three different zones on the court. If you have the ball on your hands, there's like consider there being three different zones. There's the attack zone, which is beyond the three-point line. Normally, that's where you would start your drive, start your attack. So in that D-low play, when he starts attacking the closeout, he decided to do that from the attack zone, right? Then you have right around the free throw line is your decision zone. What that is, is you're deciding, am I going to continue to go to the basket? Am I going to pull up for the jumper here? Or am I going to pass the ball? If you you can still drew the Steve Nash like dribble through, it's not the last place that you can pass the ball, but passing the ball becomes much more complicated if you keep dribbling at that point because you're surrounded by all the big dudes and the long arms and like that's the most congested part of the basketball court. And so that's that second part is considered the decision zone because that's the cleanest place where you can make a, a pass a pass drive shot decision. Then the around the basket is the finishing zone, right? By that point, yes, you have dump off passes and weak side skips and things like that. But that is basically, once you're down there, the first thing you're looking to do is definitely finish around there. And so D'Lo had the kick to Reddish in the corner, strong side corner for an open three in the decision zone, but he took one more dribble and it was into the teeth of the defense. So that's basically what I mean by that. It's like, did you drive right into the teeth of the defense, which we did a ton of last night. And that to me, like we only took 29 threes. It's not like we were talking about, oh yeah, they're going to spread the floor and, you know, make Jokic defend the perimeter. All Like one of the reasons AD barely gets any shot attempts in fourth quarters and last night's was he kept rolling when they were collapsed into the paint. It was the same thing that happened last year, right? I almost felt like Pete in the in the building, the guys that played in this series last year just reverted to what they knew. That's uh, right. When, I totally you know agree I mean? with that. Yes. When things weren't quite like it, when they were trying to implement what we saw them play a little bit more in the preseason, it was one thing. But then, you know, Denver just kept doing what they did. And it and they the Lakers just kind of reacted as opposed to trying to stick with what they're trying to build better. And they know what they do very well. And that to me is part of the, they're sort of an aspirational team in that like they knew exactly, okay, the Lakers are doing this and they have this sort of weakness. Like one thing that they did to us that a lot of teams are going to do to us, especially with the LeBron thing we were talking about earlier, the game plan against the Lakers defense a lot of times is pull AD away from the basket and then 
attack LeBron's rim protection or Prince's rim protection, whoever the three is, right? Because if AD is not around there, you're going to have a lot of advantage down there. We were also top locking a lot of their shooters, which means like we were playing them high side. So down the stretch, what were they doing? They're throwing the ball to Jokic on like the left elbow and the world kind of swirls around him, whether it's Murray, KCP, Porter, all them dudes are kind of cutting off of him and we were playing more aggressively on them. And so they were just back cutting that and getting layups and opportunities around the basket. But that's also an example, D, of... We are in like chapter one, 1. 1.5 of implementing an offense. And we played a team that's the best team in basketball that they are years into this system in terms of what do we do when against what. And so that whole like five out style, but where the five is stationary rather than attacking the basket or dribbling handoffs. That's a whole variation of this style of play that like we're just in the early, like setting up the foundations for that. And so I'm excited about like where this season goes from here. I think this is going to be a big film room year where it's like, this is such a read and react style of basketball that the decisions that you make in, in the moment are super important, more so than in a, in a four out style. And so what say you about that whole idea, D, about this being something that grows over time? Well, that's the hope. That's the hope, right? And so there are so many different things to hit on, but this group, we mentioned it before, but this group did not play together during the preseason. They just didn't. And one of the ideas I wanted to hit was the idea of like those different roles that we talked about, even though it is this, that even though they are the same, well, the same player. And Austin epitomizes this idea to me. And so you mentioned earlier, Pete, that D'Lo and LeBron played a lot of their minutes together. And so when LeBron was going out, D'Lo was going out. And it mm -hmm. allowed for Austin to take on more ball handling responsibility. And so we talked about what the offense looked like when Anthony Davis was on the court, right? And so when AD was on the court last night, the Lakers had an offensive rating of 107. And so when you incorporate that into the numbers that you mentioned before, where it was like in the 130s when he played played with LeBron, that's mm -hmm. why when LeBron was off and AD was on, it was like in the 70s or mm -hmm. whatever. When Austin was on the court last night, the Lakers had an offensive rating of 101.5, mm -hmm. right? And so even worse yep. than when AD, than that AD number that we talk, talked about. Austin is making an interesting transition as a player because last season for most of the season and even when he became more of an on-ball threat, he was still mostly a connecting player. Austin's a connecting player and the Lakers have very few of these connecting players in my opinion, right? The guys who screen, cut, pass, who actually don't need the ball a lot in order to be effective. And Austin is making a leap in his career where he is becoming a player where he will get the ball a lot more and will be effective when he gets the ball. But there is a trade-off in that for the Lakers. They get, in the long term, what I truly believe and honestly know to be is that they're going to get a on-ball player who is super efficient and who is going to help them offensively. What they lose in that, though, is that off-ball worker who is almost purely a connecting player, the guy who you screamed at in the text thread, Pete, shoot the damn shoot ball, the ball, Austin, Austin <laughs> because you're turning down corner jumpers, you're turning down all, all of these looks, you are deferring to players who we think you are better than. Mm -hmm. Please do not do that. 
please be the guy who is taking more opportunities for yourself because we think you're good enough to do it. But as he makes that trade-off, someone needs to fill in behind him and be the guy who is going to be the player who does all of the off-ball stuff. This is one of the reasons why I thought the Lakers missed Vanderbilt last night and probably missed him throughout the preseason is that he's one dude that's just like, I'll dribble the ball up, I'll do grab and goes, I'll, but mostly he's like, I'm gonna do all of the off-ball stuff yep. because no one's giving me the ball to do anything. It's one of the reasons why Torian Prince looks good as well. It's because we, the Lakers ask him, like, shoot the ball when, when you're open, drive closeouts when guys close out on you. Your decisions are simple. Yep. It's one of the reasons why Jackson Hayes looks good. Yep. It's like, hey, your decisions are simple. Every other player that has decided or has it in their mind that you know what I'm going to do is I'm the man. Like, <laughs> in my past, I've been asked to do all of this stuff and I'm going to continue to just try to do that stuff. The guys who actively took that role on last night, none of them played very well, right? Like Austin didn't play very well. D'Lo didn't play very well. Gabe Vincent didn't play very well. Rui didn't play very well. And that's like so much of your offense right there. And when all of those dudes play poorly, you're going to get a bad result. So totally. And I think that this comes down to this is the part of the NBA uh, where it's not just about continuity, but it's about really guys understanding the pecking order and understanding which guys sh they should be deferring to and when um, in, in an ideal situation. And then, of course, you adjust based on how the defense plays you. But that for Denver, that's all very clear. And I think in that first unit, to go back to the first quarter and the point, Pete, that we were making to start this podcast, like when it was Gabe coming in with Rui and Austin and AD still out there, and all three of them were kind of like, well, should I should I attack here? Should I initiate this possession here? There's no mm -hmm. point guard, like clearly there between. And to me, the one thing that I would like to see, especially as we big picture now, to bring this thought, um, to try to bring it around, if LeBron's going to be on the court a little bit less and his usage is going to be a little bit less, I would just like to see if those guys aren't sure where to go, then just spam AD or at least like just try to go back to that in, in some instance of, all right, well, let, let's just let me try and get him going in certain sets or or because he still is the best advantage um, out of that group. And and I'm sure it's I'm, I'm sure that's a little bit too simple um, of a mind frame. But I kind of felt like that in the second half when AD because Pete, you brought that. We were going to talk a little bit more about that specifically mm -hmm. when he takes just six shots and they're not he's not attacking in the way that he was in the first half and why and and. Is it the like this happened last playoffs? Is it the guards? Is it the coaching staff? Is it AD himself? Like who is responsible for this? And why? Why is it not? Why is it happening in that context? So in the third quarter, I thought he was aggressive. I think he took five shots in that third quarter. And a lot of the overpenetrating happened in that quarter where let, let's put it in context of the little flurry that he had in the second quarter before then. He's operating out of the left block, but he's beating Jokic by going to the basket. Jokic is about forearms distance, though, away from AD on a lot of those buckets. And so that is just an overall basketball principle is if the defense is playing up on you, you want to attack them. You want to attack the defense. If they're sagging off of you, you want to attack them from the perimeter. You want to, to be able to shoot jumpers. And so 
Jokic going from being kind of up on him at the end of that second quarter to playing pretty well off of him in the third. And then AD missed a couple of decently open jumpers in that stretch. And then that's one thing I think about, about is it like the confidence that he has in it, in, in that like Darvin's take six threes point is like, that's still the open shot. And this was a, a topic during the preseason, Mike, was – AD was talking about like, I'm going to take what the defense gives me. Well, if Jokic is standing in the paint and standing all of this distance off of you, take the jumper, take the pull up, the pull up three, take the 18 footer. Right. And, but the problem can be is, well, what if you miss a couple of those? Well, I was driving the basket on them in the first half and it was working, right? But no, they changed how they're defending you on that. And it's also a matter of like, the, the whole everybody operating on an island type of concept is, to me, the way to attack in those minutes is to have more two, three, four, five pass possessions, right? Because we have a lot of zero pass possessions. We have a lot of one pass possessions. I was at a coaching clinic one time where uh, Mark Few was presenting, the coach from Gonzaga, and he was talking about they had charted the their points per possession if they had zero ball reversals when ball reversal is just what it sounds like the ball goes from one side of the court to the other before the shot goes up how their points per possession was on one and then two plus it was like we're guaranteed to get a bucket basically and just it was such a staggering difference that it was why it was such a point of emphasis now that's college ball yes but i actually think that the give the ball to this overwhelming dude and have him overwhelm you is more of a four out type of concept because that's like the, the spacing it's more of the driving type of space to me the the place where this team's going to find success is in that ball movement is in reading the defenses and the little ball fake and okay i can take this shot here but i'm going to turn a good shot into a great shot and in a lot of ways that's kind of the opposite mentality of what they're exhibiting so far but i do think that with with reps and film work and just uh, that that that's part of the learning process of changing to this style of basketball yeah, and Mike, when Darwin said at some point during his media availability last last night that there's a lot to look at, a lot to learn from, but we're going to get better. I guarantee you, we're going to get better. Um, I trust in that. Like the Lakers have a bunch of talent, man. Them losing to Denver doesn't torpedo where I think what I think their ceiling is by any means. Now, LeBron playing less than what I thought or how the rotation shakes out. Um, we didn't even get to ideas about like, hey, like Cam Reddish in a much more slimmed down he role. Like really he did some things, right? Christian Wood playing against like a small front line, particularly in minutes where Anthony Davis was on the court. It's just like, oh, hey, like there's some legs yep. there, potentially. There's still a lot to learn about yep. this team, Mike, and there's a lot of togetherness that needs to be built. And you don't get to the decision tree that Pete's talking about, about swing, swing, or when to make the right pass, and when to when to go hunt your own, and when to like make sure that you're looking out for a teammate. You don't get that through a fractured preseason in which LeBron and Austin both only played in half of the games and in those games only played in half of the actual game itself, right? And you don't get it when Vando missed the entire preseason where Gabe sat out for basically the last two weeks like of the preseason and looked like that, 
when he played in last night's game. There's just a lot of togetherness that needs to happen, but the schedule is unrelenting and the Phoenix Suns are here on Thursday and then the Lakers go and play the Kings on Saturday and that vaunted Western Conference that we speak so highly about, it is staring at the Lakers right in the face. And so there's a lot to learn, a lot of togetherness to happen, Mike, and it's got to come soon, I think. This team needs to see some positivity, I think. All right. Yeah, we'll be back uh, probably tomorrow. I think I'd like to do kind of a, a geeky pod on uh, on like attacking from the top of the key and just like AD's role. Like he has this puzzle to figure out this new job, right? We were talking about what we asked him to do last year um, and the different jobs that he's capable of doing. That was one thing that really struck me in this game is like, oh, this is a totally different puzzle AD has to figure out. So tomorrow let's get into some of what that puzzle means the best we can in audio form. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shot with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. 
My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com